Hello and welcome to another fine mess, the European Securitization Podcast. I'm Victoria Thiele, your host for today, and here with me is George Smith. Hi, George. Hello, Victoria. Our third musketeer, Tom Lemon, is off this week, but um, between a bagel and a beer or at whatever point, he sent us a special episode for Another Fine Mez because he started a mini-series where he's talking to people in the US securitization market, since he's based in New York, um, just about the market and a bit about their careers. And the first guest this week was Vadim Verkoglad from the structured finance fintech DV01. I listened to it last night and it's a really cool episode that covers a very vast time period. Um, parts of it are set in the Soviet Union until <laughs> today. Have you listened to it yet, George? I uh, sadly have not. I, I uh, fell asleep on the sofa last night. When calling I you out asleep. on a public <laughs> platform. <laughs> well, well, you, you should listen to it. Um, but I think you can be let off for this one because you were very busy yesterday, weren't you? I was, yeah. I was at the PCS. This is a Friday, so Thursday would, would be yesterday. Um, I was at the PCS Symposium in London. Um, they've been doing a, a series of these across Europe. Um, and from what I understood, the morning is quite similar each time. And then the afternoon is kind of contemporary topics in the location which they're in. And this was the London the London event, not the Edinburgh event, as keen listeners might be thinking. Um, the The morning event was very interesting. It was Ian Bell, CEO of PCS, was giving a kind of securitization around the world talk. Um, How much has um, happened in then, Asia and Africa? <laughs> yeah, what? so he, he covered China and um, Japan in, uh, in the talk um, and just gave kind of examples of how securitization has been used and like what the shape of the securitization market is and listed off all the relevant regulators in every jurisdiction he covered <laughs> which i'm sure you particularly enjoyed <laughs> yeah well it's it's true pcs and true global capital that uh that information um but yeah it was a good event and the afternoon discussion was very interesting as well well that does sound interesting but I think I think it is, this was enough of the sort of polite chit chat at the start of this episode because it's high time to come to my personal highlight this week, um, which has to do with laying bare some startling hypocrisy on your part, Mr. Smith. So at the start of the year, we had you parading around, flaunting all your deals on the podcast um, in ABS and UK RMBS. And um, I, I do distinctly remember a lot of condescension that I received from you when I wrote an opinion piece begging the CLO market for just a little bit of issuance. But what did I see on Tuesday? None other than you doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, How's it uh, going in the market? How does it feel, George? <laughs> it has. It really has all turned around. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, well, it did work though. Uh, I think I saw a deal this morning um, from Volkswagen, driver eight, in the UK. So uh, it's not all. <laughs> it's paid off. I mean, it is interesting that we have no deals now because it does seem like conditions are very, very constructive, but. I guess it's the old problem that stock and drop uh, is trying to address uh, of you just can't take advantage like on the day it takes you at least because, sort of a few because weeks because deals are to... too slow or 
Yeah, well, because to go from like having collateral in the warehouse to coming to market is like you need to get it rated or whatever. You need to put in to place all the things you need for a deal. So for most issuers, that's probably about six weeks, maybe more. So, but instead of it's it's not like you didn't have anything to write this week, is it? Because even if there were no deals, you wrote about a calculation error that S&P made in rating a deal from last year. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, this is um, Bridgegate Gate, as I'm calling it. Um, it was on a Lloyd's Legacy deal from last year, um, uh, priced in, in early January. I think it was probably the first deal of the year and just before I joined Global Capital. Um, uh, in these kind of deals, like you do get um, differences in opinion between ratings agencies. Um, but I think what was particularly stood out about this deal was just the extent of the difference between S&P and Fitch, who both rated the deal. So on the class X, S&P rated it originally triple b minus and fitch rated it originally double c so that's like a a huge number of notches of difference anyway then as part of their monitoring of the transaction this year s p noticed that they'd made a calculation error in their original um rating of the deal and so they published an update um with like multiple notch downgrades towards the bottom of the stack that must have been an uncomfortable week for whoever made the original rating. <laughs> I'm sure it was, yeah. I, I, as I understand it, like this is basically a, a one-off case of human error. Right. And what's does it, is it going to have any consequences? What what happens after something like this happens? Well, so another ratings agency source told me that their regulator would be aware of this and like a light fine was probably likely considering how quickly S&P corrected it once they realized they'd made the mistake um and the fact they you know they were very upfront about they spotted the mistake they corrected it so yeah it's not going to have much impact on the actual owner of the bonds PIMCO owns the class B down to the class F and the class X um and they would have done their own analysis and underwritten the pool as a whole rather than um, relying on any ratings. And even if they were, the Fitch ratings were lower. Um, and one investor said that was likely to mean that if they were bucketing the the bonds according to rating, they would have gone with the lower. And Lloyd's has the AAA, which was unaffected by this this recalculation. Well, thank you, George. That sounds really interesting. And if you want to read more, the story is called Beware the Rating Split. S&P's Bridgegate Error Leaves Questions. Indeed it is. Um, anyway, that's enough of the uh, of the build-up. What's been happening in the, we already know, very busy CLO market <laughs> this week? Indeed, the moment we've all been waiting for. We finally talk about CLOs. <laughs> so there has, yeah, indeed, there has a lot been going on. Um, first of all, it was a really, really busy time in the secondary market for equity trading, um, sort of volumes that haven't been seen, no, seen in a very, very long time. And I did 
write a piece about why that is. Um, so if you're interested, you can go and read that um, to save us some time. I'll just say that it seems to just be a pretty good time for buyers and sellers right now where um, loan prices have increased. So the net asset value of the equity is looking a bit better. So buyers are incentivized to take home some profits and at the same time, sorry, sellers. Um, and at the same time, there are enough prospective buyers who are looking to add some equity risk now that the macro situation is looking a bit better. Um, but yeah, it was it was really busy in the primary market. So KKR priced the deal at 148 base points, which is even tighter than the benchmark where we've been at sort of 150 base points, which is probably because KKR is just a manager with a really, really, really good reputation. Um, so the, it, it seems that like for the rest of the market, we're still hovering around the 150 mark. CVC priced their first ever static deal. Is that the first of uh, of many static deals <laughs> from, from the manager or for, for the market? Probably not. Um, it's So we did have that case last year that Blackstone launched a static issuance program and plans to do more sort of um, removing Palmer Square as the, the main the main um, issuer of static deals in Europe. But for CVC, it looks like that was more of an opportunistic situation. So in the second half of 2022, loans were trading um, really, really cheap. Um, so like 91 93 cents to the dollar so they they opened this loan opportunities fund where they just put in a lot of loans funded by um rbc royal bank of canada and another investor and now they've transformed this fund into a static clo so it's yeah it's opportunistic um i hear that they would be open to doing that again but they don't plan to be a regular issuer of static clos and um then on the reinvesting side partners group just priced a deal with an Asian anchor. So they priced their, they had a split triple A tranche. The the more senior half of it um, was priced at 149. But if you create an average, they also land somewhere at like 150. So in line with the other tier one managers, um, just, just last night on Thursday evening, um, Reading Rich priced the deal. And then we also had my favorite deal of the week, um, which was by Blue Bay. Uh, yeah, well, I think I've seen a lot of um, Blue Bay stories <laughs> this week, particularly in a busy market. What was uh, what made it meriting of so much coverage? It just had, it's you know, I do love a weird quirky deal feature, and <laughs> Blue Bay delivered. <laughs> they had a they had a delayed draw triple A loan tranche, um, which is probably the first time that has happened in Europe, at least since the great financial crisis. Um, there were a few in the US in 2013, but as far as the people I spoke to remember, it hasn't really been done in Europe. Um, it actually happened twice in the past, in, in within about a week, because Fidelity did the same a week before, and both of them had City as an arranger. And the purpose of this thing is, it basically means that you don't, as a manager, you don't borrow your triple a money immediately you have in blue base case three months to draw down those funds and it, it buys you some time to ramp because as we've mentioned many times on this podcast loan supply is a bit difficult right now so um in order to to yeah um get give yourself a bit more flexibility you have this delayed drawdown so you can just borrow the money whenever you need it to actually buy a loan and it only starts accruing the 150 base points of interest after you've drawn it 
Um, and yeah, so Blue Bay, Blue Bay opened a warehouse last year and um, was at the time of pricing around 50% rand, which is for them quite low because they used to price a deal with basically a complete portfolio. So now they have those three months to continue cautiously buying sort of they they do plan to steadily ramp as i understand but yeah um this gives them the time to just sort of keep an eye open if there is any window of market weakness and then just stock up on loans very quickly if that if that appears so question how is this rated if the loans have not yet been bought it's treated um as if they were as if so it's rated as if it was funded um from what i understand but rating agencies do consider the additional risk that the loan holder does not provide the funds that they've committed to um and that needs to be addressed so in this case for example whoever owns the loans um owns the loan uh must have a prime one rating a p1 rating um in moody's rating scale at least which means that you have like superior ability to um, meet your sort of short-term obligations. And also it needs to be time-limited. So this three-month period um, that, that Blue Bay has to draw the loans also plays a role in the, in the assessment of the rating agency. I mean, previously we have talked about the struggles of, of buying loans. Why is this not just, why is everyone not doing this? I think the problem is that you can't really do it with normal note holders. Um, so this is a loan tranche. So there is um, a pretty bespoke bilateral agreement with whoever provides this loan, which usually is a bank, which often is the arranger, um, but we don't actually know who it was in this case because it wasn't disclosed. Um, and yeah, I think that would you, you need that person to, to sort of agree to this. Um, it's it's a very manager and equity friendly vehicle um, or instrument because it does allow you to manage your equity returns while you're not fully ramped. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see if it does catch on, if it becomes City's thing now um, that they sort of offer to manager or, or if other banks, if other arrangers start getting in on it, um, I, yeah, definitely, I, th I think it will be be interesting to see if other people follow suit. And you've also in the in this week of many stories written about a wave of repricings in the loan market. Uh, what's happening there? I I did. Um, <clears throat> so as we've mentioned, loans are there's there's not a lot of primary loan issuance right now, but there's a lot of demand because there's a lot of CLO issuance. There's also the general rally in credit markets because sentiment is improving um, with sort of more optimism around interest rates cuts. So this this situation, which is a bit like quite bad for CLO managers, is actually a pretty good time to be a borrower because there's yeah there's a lot of demand for 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 deals. So a lot of borrowers are taking advantage of the situation by repricing older deals. Most loans have like a soft call period of six months. So you can reprice them and um, you know, just make your, your cost of debt a bit cheaper. And there has been a bit of a wave. So this week, from all I hear, there's three, three deals in the market. We've had around 12.5 billion euros of repricings in the year to date, plus another billion of 
deals where it was tied in with with a different deal where maybe somebody was raising some new debt but also had an element of repricing some of the existing debt and um yeah as as so often it's we're lagging a bit behind the us so there it started two or three weeks before they basically had that from from the get-go in january we're a bit behind um but uh, yeah, I was talking to a loan banker who said that it's it looks like it's going to continue for a while. There's still potential for more people to do straightforward repricings, and then gradually we might evolve more into deals where it's yeah where it's tied in, um, like the billion I just mentioned, where somebody raises new debt and then has an element of refinancing some existing debt. And um, yeah, that's that's of course again not great for CLO managers because that means that um, the loans they have in their portfolio will pay them less. Yes, indeed. But surely the the managers have a way to deal with this. Some do. <laughs> if it depends on when you issued your deal. So if you did it before twenty twenty one, you're basically fine because your cost of debt was so like capital structures were so much tighter back then. If you issued in like second half of 2022 to early 2023, you did issue at really widespread, so in some cases 200 base points and wider, but loans were really cheap at the time. So if you did that, you really benefited from that massive rally in the loan market. And also you can reset your CLO liabilities. So if you priced at um, yeah, 200, 230 in some a few, very few cases, um, you can now reset that to levels where we're right now, I don't know, somewhere between 150 and 160 perhaps. So you can manage a bit like that. Um, the problem is for people who issued in the second half of 2023 because the liabilities were still relatively wide. They were sort of between 170 and 190. At the time, some loans offered quite decent spreads because they were trading close to par, but now they're repricing. And those managers can't reset and call their, the equity can't call the CLOs because they usually have non-call periods of a year and a half to two years. So um, they won't be able to bring down their their liability costs. So they're going to, um, yeah, have to have to accept slightly worse cash flows at the moment, um, I, I would expect. And they can't really do anything right now because you could, if you have sort of a fixed rate bond bucket that might alleviate the impact a little bit, but going into bonds right now isn't really that great an option because they're also quite expensive, then you can't really save yourself by being well diversified because it's essentially um, affects all sectors. And the only thing you could really do is buying riskier debt um, and riskier loans, but uh, that, <laughs> should really be the prime strategy of many CLO managers either. So what they probably have to do is just grit their teeth and go through with it. And what maybe not good news, but um, a lot of them, most of them will have taken their own equity because the ARP wasn't that great to begin with. So at least they won't have really awkward calls with their equity investors. Um, yeah, it's just annoying for the managers. They are, yeah. They're just going to have to sit through with it and maybe issue some new deals right now where the ARP is working better. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of that's sort of the impact that is expected. Yeah, so there's, there's many stories under discussion, but there's two that I'll name. Loan repricing wave to squeeze 2023 vintage CLOs and two euro CLO managers buy time to ramp with delayed draw AAA loan. 
does roll off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's all we got time for today. I would say it was plenty we had time for today. Um, and we shout back next week. Thank you all for listening. If you want to contact us in the meantime, you can as usually email us all. It's our email addresses all work the same way. Uh, same way. It's victoria.tila or george.smith or if you want to talk about special episodes, tom.lemon at globalcapital.com. And we thank you all for listening and see you next week. Bye. <laughs>